WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolness from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, I'm going to catch up on the latest from spring training. I'm not down in spring training, unfortunately. i just been watching it on TV the same as you. But we'll talk about Bryce Harper's amazing day with the glove on Wednesday. Some home runs by some regular everyday players. Uh, we're going to talk about Christopher Sanchez a little bit. I'll give you my 26-man roster prediction. We'll talk about the five-year anniversary of the Bryce Harper signing, and I'll run down my 10 best Bryce Harper moments. And we're going to get a deep dive into the Atlanta Braves with Chris Willis. He's the senior producer of BatteryPower.com, the SB Nation Braves site. He'll tell us a little bit about what they did this offseason to try and get over the crushing defeats that they have had at the hands of the Phillies in these last two Octobers. We'll get to him coming up here in a few moments on this edition of Hitting Season. Want to remind you all first, make sure to check out thegoodfight.com and make sure to check out our friends over at billypen.com. First of all, the main website's fantastic for all of the news from Philadelphia that you could ever possibly want. Uh, but we've also got a landing page there, billypen.com slash season, and that's where you can find all of our blog posts that go along with this fine podcast that you're listening to. All right, some good stuff here in the spring training games on Tuesday and Wednesday. The Phillies with two straight ties kind of unsatisfying. The Phillies led late in both games, uh, but you know, these games don't really count. We're not, you know, they don't, the, the final score doesn't matter, even though we, we do think the Phillies are approaching these games with more of an intent to win. And they really should have won these last couple games. Teams uh, came back late to tie them. They don't play extra innings in the spring, but it's the second day in a row. The Phillies have settled for a tie. Our stat guru over at the good fight Schmeckman mentioned that this was the 85th game of the spring so far in Florida and Arizona. 18 of the 85 games so far have been ties. That's 21% of all the spring training games played so far this year, according to Schmeckman, have ended in ties. Kind of weird. What's going on there? Uh, Really nice day at the plate for Alec Bohm and JT Realmuto, both of whom were making their spring debuts. Uh, there was a good article by Matt Gelb a couple of days ago about a hole in JT Realmuto's swing that he believes that he's fixed. And I don't know that it's fixed or not, but certainly a long, long solo home run from JT Realmuto in his first game makes me feel pretty good about things. And then Alec Bohm followed with a monster two-run home run uh, in the, his first at-bat of the spring. Bryce Harper had a nice hit in his uh, in his first spring game. Also, Matt Gelb, Matt Gelb's killing it uh, this spring, uh, noted that it has been 693 days since Bryce Harper's last spring training game. You got to remember, he's been hurt coming into spring training each of the last couple of years, and he felt like this is the this is the first time he's really gotten a chance to have a normal spring training with the Phillies. So, I mean, that's I think that's got to count for something. That's that sounds pretty good to me, and it's pretty clear that he's been working on his defense. Bryce Harper's glove, I think, more than anything else, was the story of the game on Wednesday against the Atlanta Braves. Made a beautiful play in the first inning, diving to his right on a ground ball hit by Jared Kalenic, and he underhanded to Tyler Phillips who was getting the start for the Phillies here in this game against Atlanta for the put out at first base. And then uh, later on, he made a really nice play again to his right for a 3-6 double play, ran over and tagged first base through a strike to Weston Wilson, who was covering second base to get the second out. Really, these are just savvy veteran defensive first base moves that Bryce Harper's making over there. He's a natural at this. And he was talking after the game a little bit about really the adjustments for him aren't necessarily 
making the diving stops and knowing where to throw the ball. It's knowing what to do when the ball's not hit to you. He said he gets caught kind of watching the game sometimes when he's at first base because, you know, when you're playing in the outfield, if it's hit to the other side of the field, there's not as much to do. But when you're at first base, you have to be trailing runners. You have to know where to stand to be a cutoff man. You have to know where to go when a ball's hit to the outfield, when it's hit to the other side of the diamond, kind of knowing when to pursue a ball in the first second base hole and when to go to the bag. That's still going to be a work in progress. We're going to see him mess that up this year. I think that's all baked into the cake, and we all know that. That'll probably hurt some of his defensive metrics. But what we're seeing from Bryce Harper is a guy who can play this position. And it's going to be his position for the rest of his career, more than likely. And he could very well become one of the best defensive first basemen in baseball. He has all the athletic skills. He has the drive to do it. The fact that he learned this on the fly last year while he was rehabilitating from Tommy John surgery is absolutely amazing. We don't talk about that enough. Really incredible how he came in and solidified first base defensively. He's a better first baseman than Reese Hoskins. You're wondering why the Phillies made the moves that they made this offseason, why they chose to let Reese Hoskins go. He's a better first baseman defensively than Reese Hoskins is right now. And you get Kyle Schwarber to play DH and you get him out of left field. I think you're going to see a net gain from moving on from Reese Hoskins by which you get defensively at first base and what you gain defensively in left field with whether it's Brandon Marsh out there or Christian Pache or even Jake Cave out there in left field. Uh, it's it's just going to make such a huge difference, and you still get to keep Harper and Schwarber's bat in the lineup. And I do think, you know, Whit Merrifield is going to be out there quite a bit too. I don't think you're going to lose a whole lot offensively uh, with Whit, Whit Merrifield and Brandon Marsh. Basically, what you're doing is you're swapping out Reese Hoskins for Whitfield and Brandon Marsh, and I think that's fine. You know, I think I think that you may lose some power there, but I think you're going to get some extra defense and you're going to get some run prevention to go along with some of the offense there. But this all has to do with Bryce Harper moving to first base and the way he played on Wednesday just gives you all the confidence in the world that he is going to really just take to this position really, really well. Some great stuff from him flashing the flashing the leather over there at first base here uh, in the game on Wednesday. And the pitchers continue to do their thing. You know, we've seen the starters pitch really well so far. We've seen these guys come in there. Everybody seems to be throwing hard right away. Uh, and that's, again, it's good to see. I'm happy to see these guys it looks like already in midseason form, I think you have to expect there's going to be that dead arm period that you always hear about. But most of the big league pitchers have pitched really well. Everybody and everybody that we're expecting to be a major part of the bullpen has pitched really well so far. Uh, Mick Abel has pitched well in his in his one appearance so far. Uh, this kid, Aramis Garcia, never heard of him before, but he's having a very nice spring for himself so far, as is Weston Wilson. Uh, Wes Wilson has an outside shot of making the 40-man roster. He's a right-handed hitter. If he was a lefty, he'd be a, he'd be a lock, but unfortunately, uh, he hit right-handed and there's nothing nothing he can do about that especially because christian pache has is having a good spring so far um so you know it's it's a lot of good things going on here so far the bullpen and the starters are looking really really good here in the early going and they looked really really good on tuesday and they looked really really good on wednesday as well uh, i want to talk a little bit about christopher sanchez because as you have probably noticed the beat writers tend to 
I guess certain players are made available to the media on certain days. And so you'll see an article about the same player with the same quotes from uh, from different from the same beat writers or from different beat writers. And, and, and that's fine. That's just kind of how it goes down in spring training. That's how the content is presented a lot of times. And the Christopher Sanchez articles that came out early on Tuesday uh, certainly were interesting. And they came in the wake of an eye opening performance in the game on Tuesday. I mentioned the Sanchez articles came out on Wednesday in part of his continued transition from being a reliever who threw very fast, 97, 98 miles an hour. Now he is the team's number five starter. And he knows coming into the season that he has a spot locked up in the starting rotation. And even if the Phillies were to go out and sign Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery at this point, I don't think Christopher Sanchez is the odd man out there. I think it's Taiwan Walker. Because... When you look at Sanchez's numbers last year compared to, let's say, Ranger Suarez, Christopher Sanchez was the better pitcher. In fact, Christopher Sanchez was the second best starting pitcher on this team last year. In 22 starts for the Phillies last year, Ranger Suarez pitched 125 innings, went four and six. Okay. Christopher Sanchez made 18 starts. So he made, what is that, four fewer starts than Ranger Suarez. He pitched about 25 fewer innings than Ranger Suarez. So that tracks. They pitched about, they went about the same distance in games. Um, Ranger Suarez's ERA, 4.18. Christopher Sanchez's ERA, 3.44. The FIPS, Ranger Suarez had a better FIP, 3.90, but not much better. Sanchez was 3.99. Both struck out a little over eight and a half batters per nine. Suarez, 8.6. Sanchez, 8.7. Sanchez's walks per nine, much lower than Suarez's. Suarez at three and a half walks per nine. Sanchez, a minuscule one and a half walks per nine. And that's what led to the whip difference between these two guys. Ranger Suarez had a 1.416 whip. Christopher Sanchez, 1.047. And one of the things that was really eye-opening in the game on Tuesday is that his sinker was two miles an hour faster than it was last year. 94.3 miles an hour, his sinker on Tuesday. He threw three cut cutters at 89.2 miles an hour. Uh, uh, coming into spring training, he, had, he did not throw cutters in games. So now he's added a cutter to his repertoire. It seems. He's throwing a Carlos Correa, first batter of the game, and it caught Correa by surprise. The idea here is twofold. One, when the Phillies first challenged Christopher Sanchez a couple of winners to go to, um, first of all, they asked him to gain some strength, which 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 he did, and he needed to get a little bit stronger. They believed that that would help with his command because he was the guy who threw 97, 98, 98 miles an hour and had no idea where the ball was going. So they said, get stronger so that you can control the ball better. That seems to have done a good job. Last winter, um, they told him to stop worrying about velocity, take something off your fastball, and worry about command. And that worked wonders. His command was pinpoint last year. And it also helped his changeup. His changeup became an out pitch for him. His slider was already an out pitch against left-handers. Right-handers still were doing was doing were still doing damage against his his slider, but against lefties it was a very good pitch. But he needs something against right-handers so that he can he can go through a lineup a third time, right? So he can pitch into the sixth and seventh innings, and he didn't have that pitch last year. 
Now he's introducing this cutter that he's hoping will give him an edge against right-handers, and maybe he only throws it, you know, eight or nine times a game. Maybe it's five or seven times a game, but it gives them something different as a potential out pitch late in games or early in games, whatever it happens to be, so that you can you can have a four-pitch mix that actually makes sense, and you can have maybe three pitches that work well against a right-handed batter. But this was... Um, this is a this is a, another development is he was throwing 94 miles an hour on his sinker. It's two miles an hour above last year. He's probably not going to throw 96, 97, 98 again because but they, they want to see like, OK, let's have you up to 94 and let's see what that does to your command. So far, so good. I mean, again, still very, very early. But if he can add some velocity to that fastball and his cutter becomes something that he has confidence in using in games well boy i mean this could be a real success story the phillies have on their hands but again it's still a long way to go an intriguing outing from christopher sanchez on tuesday and he was already a good pitcher nugget hitters saw him last year they would be more ready for his stuff this year but that's why again he actually added 10 pounds this year as well um this offseason so coming into the season, he's 10 pounds heavier than he was last season. They're hoping that allows him to stay in the rotation all season, go 140, 150 innings in the regular season. I think that's what they're looking for from him. And he can be, if this stuff plays up, he can be a mid-rotation starting pitcher for this team. But this is, this is again, we talked about this in the podcast last time with Justin and Liz on episode 783. The old Phillies major league coaching staff never used to have success doing this kind of thing, but it just seems like these guys are all on the same page now. Caleb Cottom knows what he wants these guys to do. They have good ideas. The pitchers are executing them, and the reason the pitchers are, are, are listening is because they're seeing results. You saw results with Jeff Hoffman. You saw what they did with Jose Alvarado. It, it's not going to work for everybody, but this, this group that under the old regime would see players playing well in AAA and come to the majors and immediately struggle, now taking what they're learning from AAA, bringing it up to the majors, and everybody's on the same page. And Kevin Long and Caleb Cottom just want these guys to make things simpler and allow them allow their natural ability and talents and stuff to play up. And so Christopher Sanchez, very intriguing outing here on Tuesday. We'll see if it continues throughout the course of the spring. I'm giving my 26-man roster prediction. Now's a good time to do that before the Phillies make any other moves. I don't, again, I don't think they're getting Jordan Montgomery. I don't think they're getting Blake Snell. I think what you see in Clearwater is the roster they have, and I think it's a very good roster, and I think they're content with it. Maybe I'm surprised, but let's just, this 26-man roster prediction is assuming that no more additions are coming from the outside of great consequence. So I have two catchers, obviously, JT Real Muto and Garrett Stubbs. Most of this is going to be chalk. For the infield, I have Harper, Stott, Turner, Bohm, and Edmundo Sosa, five players. The outfield, Castellanos, Marsh. I have Johan Rojas making the team. Whit Merrifield makes the team. And 
here you have the the fifth outfielder situation. Uh, you have Jake Cave, the left-hander, Christian Pache, the right-hander, and then you have some kind of outlier guys like Weston Wilson, um, who, again, I'd love to see make the team, and he's he's versatile. He can play all over the place. He can play in the infield as well, but they have that guy in Whitmerryfield already. I don't know that it makes sense. I think they will probably bring Jake Cave north because he is a left-handed bat, and they, they need another lefty bat in on, on this roster who, who that can play the outfield. Um, if you need to move Whitmerryfield to play for Bryson Stott one day or something like that, and you have a tough right-hander on the mound, you can have Jake Cave in the in the lineup for that. But I, I think I think they want to have that left-handed pinch hitter off the bat, and Jake Cave is probably going to be that guy. So Castellanos, Marsh, Rojas, Merrifield, and Cave are the five outfielders. You have the D.H. Schwarber. Starting pitchers are obvious, of course. Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker, Sanchez. And here's my, my bullpen shakes out. I got an, an eight-man bullpen. Alvarado, Dominguez, Soto, Hoffman, Kirkering, Matt Strom. I have uh, Covey making the team. And I have Michael Rucker, the guy that they got from the Cubs. I have him making the team. We're seeing some things about him uh, that he's looking really good so far this spring. He was with the Cubs for the majority of last year, has a lot of major league experience. Uh, he can pitch multiple innings. And I think he probably makes more sense than like uh, a Turnbull. Um, some of the other guys that they brought in, Rucker is again a league average type pitcher, but when he's your eighth man, that's not bad. And he he has major league experience, a good amount of major league experience. He was in the league last year. I think Rucker is going to be the eighth man in this bullpen. So it's Real Muto, Stubbs, Harper, Stott, Turner, Bohm, Sosa, Castellanos, Marsh, Rojas, Merrifield, Cave, Schwarber, Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker, Sanchez, and Alvarado, Dominguez, Soto, Hoffman, Kirkering, Strom, Covey, and Michael Rucker. That's your 26-man roster prediction from yours truly. It's kind of nice that you have a team, and Whit Merrifield has talked about this, I think, where, and I've, I think some other guys have talked about it too, but you're not worried about guys trying to make the team necessarily like all these guys know they're going to make the team right rucker and cave are really the only ones who don't know if they're going to make the team and i i guess i guess dylan covey, covey too or is it covey i never know if it's covey or covey but i guess covey is kind of still up in the air also but all these guys are just working to get ready for the season win some games here in the spring get ready for the season nobody's really trying to win a job necessarily and it makes it pretty easy to put together a 26-man roster. Uh, you know, maybe that eighth man in the bullpen is somebody different. We'll see how these next few weeks shake out. But that is my 26-man roster prediction. All right, as I'm recording this, it is uh, February 28th, uh, Wednesday night, late in the evening on Wednesday, uh, February 28th. And that is the five-year anniversary of Bryce Harper signing with the Phils. Where was I when I heard the news? Well, I, like many of you, was at work. Uh, I was still working for Westwood One. I was sitting on the news desk that day. It came down in the afternoon, if I remember correctly, sometime around like 2.30, 3.30 or something like that. And I just remember, I think I I think I think yelled out in the middle of the newsroom that I was working in at the, at the time, and people had no idea what I was, uh, what I was uh, talking about. But everybody knew I was a big Phillies fan, that I was a podcaster, that I did a lot of writing, and when I told him what happened. We had other sports fans in the newsroom and um, yeah, we really, we couldn't believe it. I, I will tell you uh, on the Good Fights uh, Twitter timeline, uh, they did a pretty good job taking some screenshots of reaction, the real-time reaction. These tweets are still up there for people to see. Uh, some some 
pretty ice cold takes about Bryce Harper signing with the Phillies. And listen, hey, it could have gone terribly awry. Thankfully, it has gone in in infinitely, innumerably, immensely better. I was trying to say all three of those words at one time, so I just figured I'd say all three than any of us could have ever dreamed. Bryce Harper's first five years here with this baseball team. Uh, the Harper Reaction Show we did is still the biggest podcast we've ever done. Uh, so um, it was good for it was good for business. <laughs> and uh, you know, this it's always a good opportunity for something like this to to kind of take a look back at, at Harper's time here. And I want to give you my ten best Bryce Harper moments. Uh, number ten for me. I'll go with the 2022 World Series Game 3 opening home run. Uh, that was off of Lance McCullers, I believe. Was that the guy that they, that he homered off of? That monster shot to right field. Man, that was really when you thought that they were winning that World Series. Just like you thought the Phillies were winning the NLCS last year. Just, gosh, those runs were so great and just it just ended in so much disappointment. It's so, it's so frustrating. They didn't, we weren't able to just finish the job in each of these last two seasons. But uh, that Game 3 World Series... Game three of the World Series was kind of bittersweet for me because that game was a party, kind of just like game two of the NLCS last year was an out-and-out -out party. And after both of those games, you just knew the Phillies were winning that series, right? After game three of the World Series, you knew the Phillies were beating the Astros and winning the Fall Classic. And after game two of the NLCS, you knew the Phillies were going to the World Series. They were going to beat the Diamondbacks, and it just didn't happen. But... That game three opening home run in, in the 22 World Series was awesome. Remember, he goes over and talks to Alec Bohm over in the dugout, and then Bohm comes up and he hits a home run out. What a cool, what a cool sequence uh, in the 2022 World Series. Number nine. Remember in game one of the wild card series last year against the Marlins, Bryce Harper blowing through the stop sign? It didn't really, it wasn't the winning run. It was an insurance run that Bryce Harper scored in that moment, but it was just signature Bryce Harper. Running through the stop sign, he was safe by a mile. It was clearly the right decision. Um, I, I, was that the that series? That was not a good series there for the Phillies' third base coach, um, uh, Dusty Wathen. He had a kind of a rough go of it there. Uh, but Bryce Harper running through the stop sign, hair on fire, uh, fired up at crossing home plate. It's just if you want kind of an encapsulation of why we love Bryce Harper, it was that moment right there. You know, and we've seen Bryce Harper make base running blunders when he's too aggressive. Um, a lot of people said that was what happened in game two of the NLDS against the Braves. Again, I didn't think that was a blunder. He probably shouldn't have crossed second base in, in that situation, but I, I like the aggressiveness. He wanted to score the tying run on that play, and uh, it kind of blew up in their face. But Harper blowing through the stop sign in game one of the wild card series against the Marlins is my number nine favorite moment. Just, I love that moment. It tells me so much about the guy. Number eight, the game two NLDS home run against the Cardinals in 2022. Uh, this is in the wild card series. Uh, it was Miles Michaelis uh, they were going up against, and he got them on the board in that game and helped them uh, hold on to a, a, in a very close 2 nothing win. Uh, in, in just a, a vital home run in that game, uh, the Phillies managed to beat the Cardinals uh, in a white-knuckle game that was one of the most tense games I've ever watched in my life. Uh, that game aged me significantly. Uh, number seven, in 2022, the game-tying Grand Slam against the Angels. That was in the game where Bryson Stott in the bottom of the ninth inning hit a walk-off three-run home run to win it. Uh, but that game-tying Grand Slam on a Sunday afternoon against the Angels in the middle of the summer, uh, one of the great clutch moments 
in the regular season by Bryce Harper since he got here. Uh, number six, the game four NLCS opposite field go ahead double, uh, where he where he got to second base and said, "This is my effing house." Remember screaming that out loud when the Phillies were trailing in that game four to nothing. Reese Hoskins got them to four to two. They had gotten it tied. Juan Soto hits a two-run home run to make it six to four. Uh, Reese Hoskins ties the game up at six six, and then JT Realmuto gets on, and Bryce Harper lines a double to left center field to score Realmuto for the go-ahead run. The Phillies would tack on and win that game ten to six. But Bryce Harper, that was a monster hit to keep the momentum rolling, and gave the Phillies a three to one series lead which they would eventually take to the World Series. Number five, 2022 NLCS Game 1 home run. Uh, this was against the Padres. Again, first uh, uh, first run on the board in the series. Zach Wheeler th- pitches a, a shutout against San Diego, and the Phillies go on to win the all-important Game 1 of that NLCS. Bryce Harper's 300th home run last year in a game against the Angels, It should have been a game that they ended up winning, but uh, a game-tying home run against the Angels for his 300th career dinger. Um, A truly special, special moment that was ruined by the bullpen. Uh, But that happened a lot to Bryce Harper last year. He had a big home run against the Angels, a big home run against the Giants, and the Phillies lost those games because the bullpen couldn't hold them. Now, at the end of the day, Phillies got the top wild card. We can look back on those and feel a little bit better about it. It was just another one of those Bryce Harper moments. Really? You're going to hit your 300th home run in that situation? Of course you are. You're Bryce Harper, and that's just what you do. Number three, the walk-off grand slam against the Cubs in 2019. Harper's first signature moment in a Phillies uniform, sprinting around the bases. We couldn't have imagined what we were getting ourselves into. Number two, the attaboy game, of course, game three of the NLDS against the Braves last year, uh, where he hit two home runs and stared at Orlando Arcia after Arcia uh, criticized Harper's base running error in game two, saying attaboy Harper in the locker room. Well, uh, of course, Bryce Harper with that unbelievable shot that looked like it was going to hit those two fireworks workers uh, who were standing on the roof of the stadium um, off of Bryce Elder just absolutely destroying a baseball. Oh, that was so satisfying. What a great game that was. That's a game you can watch over and over and over again. And then finally, of course, Bedlam at the Bank. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Well, as part of our pre-regular season activities here on Hit and Season, we want to check in with the teams around the National League East a little bit. And we're going to start off with the Phillies' main rivals, of course, the Atlanta Braves, the team that has had their number in the regular season these last two years. But, of course, the Phillies getting their revenge in October each of these last two seasons. But the Atlanta Braves coming to 2024, obviously loaded to the hilt. And on paper, it still looks as though they are the team to beat in the National League East. Joining me to talk a little bit about the Braves' offseason and how he's feeling about the team entering the 2024 season is Chris Willis, good buddy of the podcast. He's now the senior producer over at Battery Power, which is the SB Nation Atlanta Braves site. Uh, they do a lot of good podcasts and stuff over there as well. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming back on Hit and Season. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing good. I appreciate you having me. It's good to talk to you again, and uh, anytime we need an Atlanta Braves check-in, you're the guy we come to. And I guess I just want to start off with the Phillies having beaten the Braves in the playoffs each of the last two years. I I, I guess, 
it must be really frustrating to go through that regular season, the 162-game gauntlet, as clearly the better team. And I don't think any Phillies fan would argue that the Atlanta Braves on paper these last two years have been the better team. Certainly the record has played that out during the course of the entire six months. The Braves had been the more consistent and and the the better performing team. And then you get into October and the, the Braves have come up against a Phillies team that has had their number each of these last two Octobers in very strikingly similar series uh, in 2022 and 2023. What is, I guess, what is your reaction to the fact that the Phillies have been able to to beat the Braves in these last two postseasons, that, that regular season where you've proven yourself as the better team only to come up short in October each of these last two years. It seems like the last couple of seasons, it, you know, the Braves have had something nagging in, 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 on the pitching side, you know, entering those series. But I don't want to take anything away from the Phillies because, I mean, as you've seen, you know, once you get into a five-game series, anything can happen. And I mean, the mm-hmm. Braves kind of proved this in 2021 when they entered the postseason and really weren't what anybody considered the best team. They just got hot at the right time. And I feel like the Phillies have done that in a similar way the last couple of seasons. Um, it last year did feel empty a little bit just because the regular season was amazing. They won 104 games, you know, was without Max Freed for um, a good portion of that season and that thing, but just set every offensive record you know, that you could, you could see. And then, you know, Ronald Acuna, of course, uh, unanimous MVP to have it in like that was kind of bittersweet. Uh, you know, it was left a bitter taste in your mouth, uh, you know, coming out. And I think they, the team kind of felt that as well. So, you know, we're going to see, I think they've, they've tried to adjust their mindset a little bit, uh, you know, going into this season and we'll just have to see how that plays out. Do you buy into the wild card by the fact that, you know, the Braves didn't play in the wild card round and there was that conversation about the rest? And I, I made the point at the time, the Braves clinched the East so early, they really didn't even have anything to play for over the last week of the season. And then you had that break coming into that series. You know, I I look at how the Phillies have traditionally done against Atlanta, and, and these two teams have played each other pretty evenly over the last few years. But specifically, when you get into a short series and you've got Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, and Ranger Suarez going up against Atlanta, those those three pitchers have historically always pitched really well against the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Zach Wheeler in 27 starts has a 3.18 career ERA against Atlanta, 680 OPS allowed. Aaron Nola in 33 starts has a career 3.40 ERA against the Braves, a 679 OPS allowed. Ranger Suarez, seven starts, 16 games a career, 3.00 ERA, 650 OPS allowed. And those are the guys who in the postseason, in that five-game series, the Braves batters have just had all kinds of trouble with these last couple of years. So I, I look at it as really the Phillies pitching staff matches up with Atlanta better than maybe any other pitching staff in in baseball. But I also know that the the layoff was a a big topic of conversation. So why is it, do you think, the Braves haven't been able to beat the Phillies the last couple of years in the postseason? I mean, to me, you know, you can make an excuse over the layoff, but I felt like the Braves needed it the last two seasons Mm -hmm. because they had something nagging at the end of the season. Uh, Two years ago, Spencer Strider. You know, had the oblique injury, missed the end of the season. Um, obviously, Max Freed got sick at the end of that season, too. And then last mm-hmm. year, you know, Freed had the blister issue. Charlie Morton gets hurt right before uh, the postseason misses the division series. So I really kind of felt like they needed it. Um, you know, they've done – they've, they've went the rest approach in 2022. Last year, they, you know, they just rolled right on sim games. All They've changed their approach going into mm-hmm. the division series. 
you know, I think it's just one of those things. It's just baseball. And, you know, again, I don't want to discredit the Phillies and say the Braves were just hurt because the Phillies have come into this, into those two series with an edge about them. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the pitching staff, and I mean, Ranger Suarez is the one that really jumped out at me because the Braves murdered left-handed, uh, pitchers last year. And, you know, when he, and I thought he illustrated, kind of their offensive woes and um mm-hmm. you know and then that bullpen i mean it seemed like every every uh pitcher phillies uh threw out there was throwing 100 or you know 98 99 100 <laughs> and you know they yeah. just you know i guess going into last year's uh division series if you'd have told me they the Braves were going to lose lose again i would have told you all the games would have been 9 to 7 10 to mm-hmm. 8 to yeah. see that offense get shut down the way they did it was, you know, that was that was unexpected. Was it the pressure? Do you do you buy into maybe the pressure of the moment with the offense? What I mean, it's it's because you know it's it was really. I mean, I know the Phillies pitchers again have historically done well against these Braves mm-hmm. hitters, and that was certainly part of it. We know Zach Wheeler and and Aaron Nola and Ranger Suarez have been have been good postseason performers against all the teams they've played essentially these last couple of years. But again, that Atlanta offense, it was just, it was really surprising how, how anemic they were. I don't think, I mean, I do wonder when you go in as the favorite and you're probably not wanting to repeat the year before, I think once they lost game one, I do feel like there was a little bit of pressure there. It was a mm-hmm. lot of guys were like, I've got to do something. You know, everybody was trying to take it upon themselves instead of playing together, I do feel like the, the pressure kind of mounted, but you know, they pull out game two, you know, and then you're going to Philly who we were, were nervous. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, if you're Atlanta, obviously you didn't want to split one of the first two at home, but you know, you, you were able to do that in pretty dramatic fashion. It was kind of disappointing to see them, you know, just kind of come back out flat again, offensively mm-hmm. in, in game three. But again, I think, I think the Phillies pitching staff had a lot to had a lot to do with that, you know, bullpen included. Uh, and you know, I think the Braves spent a good portion of this offseason trying to mimic that Phillies bullpen a little bit. Uh, added a bunch of um, high velocity arms that I think, you know, I think honestly that's the postseason was in mind, you know, when they were going going through that this offseason. Well, I, I do. I do want to talk about the offseason now and looking ahead to twenty twenty four because the Braves did make a number of moves and they were very busy. Uh, as I watched them make these moves, none of them really struck out stuck out to me as high impact players. But I mean, in the, in the spring game that we saw on Wednesday, Ken Giles, former Phillies farmhand, former one hundred mile an hour Giles, was throwing ninety five, ninety six, but struck out the side. And you know, I know he's a guy that they brought in. I don't know that there's any great expectations for him, but certainly an encouraging performance here this spring. But I know they added a number of other arms to that bullpen. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the guys that they brought in and, and how they're expected to help this Braves bullpen do more in twenty twenty four? One thing that really hampered them last year, they were really short on lefty relievers, and uh, they've gone out and got a, a several guys. Aaron Bummer, who you know, if you look at his numbers last year with the White Sox, he had an ERA nearly a seven, but his mm. the peripherals were really good, you know. So I think they're banking on him being able to get back in there. Um, uh, Ray Kerr, they got from San Diego, a little lesser known, but another hard thrower. I think the biggest X factor might be Reynaldo Lopez, who they uh, who they signed to a multi year deal. Now they're going to give him an opportunity to start, um, you know, and he may actually begin the season in the rotation. Hasn't been a starter in a few years, 
but I know I think I really do think that you know at some point he's going to end up in the bullpen, and I anticipate him being a reliever in the bull, in the postseason if if the Braves mm-hmm. get there. So, you know, the, just more dynamic guys that can pitch high leverage, can pitch in the middle innings if they need to. Uh, but, you know, the Braves were kind of locked in last year. They didn't have much flexibility in that bullpen, especially after uh, Dylan Lee got hurt. Just short on lefties. A.J. Minner was really the only left-hander they had down there. Um, you know, and then and none of those guys had options, which really mm-hmm. made it tough if you needed to add a fresh arm. So this they've got a little more flexibility with this group. And then, like I said, I think a, a good bit more uh, velocity. Yeah, the Phillies this offseason, one of the things they really stressed over the last few weeks is bringing in guys with options, kind of swapping some guys off the 40-man roster that were out of options and bringing in a whole slew of pitchers who could be in the rotation, bullpen arms that could travel back and forth between AAA and the majors. That's a big deal during a 162-game season. So one of the, some of the little moves you don't often think about that end up actually really helping mm-hmm. you uh, during the course of a long season. And the big name that the Atlanta Braves went out and got this year, of course, was Chris Sale. Now, Chris Sale, five years ago, seven years ago, Cy Young candidate for sure. Now he's expected to just not be Bryce Elder in Game 3 of the National League Division Series, right? I mean, that was you, you got all that momentum from the Game 2 in, and Bryce Elder just didn't have it that day at Citizens Bank Park. And the hope, I'm sure, is that Chris Sale comes in and he can get enough starts, stay healthy enough to be in the rotation for most of the season, but really with an eye on October and a Game 3 start against whoever it might be, but the Phillies in particular. Saw he was throwing 96 this spring already. Is Chris Sale getting it up there a little bit with the velocity? Man, yeah. save some bullets, but you know that's <laughs> got to be an encouraging sign for you all to have him in the middle of the rotation if he's going to have that kind of heat. One one of the big things he talked about after after that trade was how he has had to ha- he has been able to have a, a normal off season. He said for the first time since really 2019, he's mm. coming in with something to prove. You know, we know what kind of competitor uh, he is. Um, you know, I think at some point the Braves will probably have to protect him from himself because yeah. I think he's going to go out there and try to air it out as much as he possibly can. And like you said, it's, I mean, it'd be great if he could go out there and recapture some of that magic from earlier in, in his, in his career. But at the same time, those innings in October are going to be much more important than those t- innings in April and May. So, you know, I'm really intrigued by it just because of how he's talked about his health and, and how it just wasn't there. And one thing you can say when he has been healthy enough to pitch He's been pretty good. You know, I mean, the strikeout yeah. rate last year was uh, around twenty nine percent, which is pretty close to his career career no, normal. And then, like I said, he hit ninety seven in in that um, in at his only <laughs> spring appearance so far. He was already at uh, at Northport throwing shortly after the trade. So, uh, you know, we're just gonna have to see. I think he's really excited to have, be on a have a chance to win. You know, and be part of a pennant race and and uh, hopefully the postseason. Uh, but you know, I mean, like you said, we saw the we saw the um, sky high prices for pitching this off season. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I don't, I didn't have Chris Sale on my bingo card as somebody that the Braves were going to chase this off season. <laughs> but you know, given the circumstances and everything, if he can just slide into that number three, number four spot, and then be able to give them good innings in October, they've got a chance, you know, for that to be a, a pretty rewarding move. I think. 
I want to look at the offense now, and there are not a whole lot of additions to the offense. I know Jared Klenick coming in. There's hope that he can become the type of player that people thought he might be as one of the top prospects in baseball in Seattle. But you look at that lineup, it seemed as though everybody had a career year last year all at the same time, which makes their playoff loss to the Phillies that much more crushing because I don't know that you can expect to have all of those guys have the same kind of year again. I mean, the team slugged over 500 as a team. All those guys with over 20 home runs uh, i look at like orlando arcia Eddie rosario is obviously not back with the team i mean is matt olson going to hit that many home runs again i mean right. I he's going to hit a lot of home runs but i mean that was far more than he'd ever hit in his career acuna probably has a similar season in him but you know i wonder if atlanta fans are at all concerned or are at all talking about the offense regressing a little bit still good no doubt about it but not having quite the numbers quite the season that they had in 2023 probably not talking about it as much as they should just because <laughs> they set the bar so high last year and I mean I look at a guy like Ronald Acuna you know you go into those numbers I mean Ronald could win the MVP again this year and he may not ever have approached the season he had last year I mean, it, he almost hit 340 I mean coming yeah. into the season you know if you'd have told me he was going to hit 300 you know I, I would have been I don't know about that you know just because he'd always been a 280 uh, you know kind of 260 to 280 kind of hitter uh, but he only struck out 84 times I mean the the plate discipline you know everything just jumped off the off the table 149 runs scored 200 plus hits <laughs> I mean it was just a monster season before you even get to the 40 homers 70 steals so yeah. you know I, I mean he's an unbelievable talent I think he's probably the best player in baseball right now not named Shohei Otani um who's in its own category obviously but he's a whole other tier (laughs) right um (laughs) yeah you know Matt Olson everything clicked together um you know I don't I have I don't 40 homers I think is realistic you know anytime you get up into the 50 plus who knows you know you just it's just kind of special one guy that didn't have the offensive season was still great was Austin Riley kind of dropped back a little bit but still 37 homers and then Marcelo Zuna at this point I have no idea what to expect you know from him I mean here's a guy that had five hits going on May 1st total and ends up with 40 home runs mm. so you know it's just it was just an unbelievable offensive performance top to bottom I mean I don't know that they can be that good again um but you know if Max Fried's healthy if Chris Sale comes through if the bullpen's a little bit better, maybe they don't have to be, you know, quite at the same level they were last year. I'm going to ask you for, and maybe not an under-the-radar Braves player, but a Braves player that maybe isn't a household name that Phillies fans you think might see some more of this year or a name that maybe we're not used to hearing that could play a role on this team that uh, that that we should be aware of that that you know when we're playing the Braves this guy's name is going to pop up every every once in a while and it's 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 not a guy we're used to hearing about i mean you know the lineups basically what you see is what you get i mean the Braves don't mm-hmm. play a whole lot of substituting you know uh, as far as their bench anything like that Travis Darno still plays a t- a huge role on this team though you know, Sean Murphy, obviously the big trade last year, uh, had a good season, his first season in Atlanta. But, you know, still, I think you're going to see Travis Darno a lot. Travis has become the leader kind of in that clubhouse, even even though his role has kind of been reduced a little bit. I know that's not a new guy. Um, you know, 
A.J. Smith-Shaver pitched today. Uh, he got a little bit of uh, big league time last year. Hit 99 mm-hmm. today. I know he gave up a couple of home runs. Braves are still high on him. You know, he'll he'll get an opportunity at some point. And then, you know, really the guy that everybody's kind of buzzing about is the last year's first-round pick in Hurston Waldrop. Um you know, I've I've seen. You know, he's the he's the one prospect that's gotten consistent top one hundred buzz. You know, he was he, he was at Florida last year. The Braves draft him, I think, with the twenty fourth pick. But I think he's got a real chance to be in the majors at some point uh, in this season if they need him. So you know, there's a name there's a name that you might uh, possibly keep an eye on as you uh, as this season you know kind of rolls out. Yeah, good intel. Very good. All right, last thing for you here. I think. Everyone everyone who watches this game, who analyzes this game, understands that in the National League you have the Dodgers and the Braves in one tier. I think everybody – I think universally has the Phillies – not universally, but most baseball analysts have the Phillies probably at number three in, in terms of the National League. And there's a gap between, I think, the Braves, Dodgers, and where the Phillies are. And then there's uh, the other teams underneath the Phillies. I'm kind of curious how you see the National League stack up. And, and if the Braves are ahead of the Phillies, which I assume you believe they are, how, how big is the gap – you know, I didn't. What the, what it ended up what being fourteen games. I think last year, I never really felt like it was that big a gap. I mean, it, the Braves got caught fire, you know, obviously offensively and kind of run through it. But you knew that Phillies team was built for the postseason, especially the especially a short series. You know, so mm-hmm. I think you know, I think on one hand, the Braves. I think the, obviously on paper, it's the Braves. It's going to be the Braves and the Dodgers. I mean, that's pretty much what the uh, the uh, preseason projections have had. I do think the Phillies are right there in that next tier. I don't think the gap's 14 games, even though I've seen some of these projections of are you know are sky high on the Braves now, which is a little scary because that's not happened you know <laughs> historically the last uh, during this run of division titles. You know, a lot of the projection systems have been kind of lukewarm on Atlanta, and you know projected a much tighter NL East race. But you know, this Phillies team, like I said. I think what's the most impressive been for me is they've they're a confident bunch. You know, to me they're they're in the image of Bryce Harper. He's got that little bit of a he's got that edge that you know, in the big moment, you know, yeah. he's gonna come through and um you know, and I don't really know how you quantify that, but you can certainly see it if you're watching these games and stuff. So I still think this is a good team. They're battle tested. You know, I don't know. You know, I think the Braves are probably better equipped for the regular season, uh, but mm-hmm. the Braves have got to find something to uh, to get back to find uh, find an edge or, or you know something to finally cash back in in the postseason. Well, I would certainly like to check in with you uh, during the course of the regular season as uh, as these two teams battle it out. It should be a lot of fun watching these guys go at it. And I know everybody's keeping their eyes on October, but let's have let's enjoy the six months that lead up to it as well uh, as we watch two really good baseball teams try and fight for a division title. As I mentioned, make sure you check on uh, everything Chris Willis is doing over at BatteryPower.com. And uh, you can, of course, check out the Battery Power podcast, learn as much as you can about the Atlanta Braves before we head into the start of the season. Chris, thanks for coming back on Hitting Season. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, thanks for having me. It's always a, uh, a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Hitting Season. And um, I want to remind you, of course, check out all of our good stuff over at billypencom slash Hitting Season. We also have a Hitting Season YouTube page, and you can 
uh, list that you can watch my interview with Chris Willis over at our Hidden Season YouTube page. Just, you know, go to YouTube and type in Hidden Season and you will find us. You'll find the full episode of our podcast, episode number 783 that Justin, Liz, and I did and a couple of clips from that podcast as well. And whenever we do uh, guests on the Midweek podcast, I will uh, try to put those on video as well and get them up on the YouTube. And of course, uh, uh, the uh, Chris Willis interview talking about the Atlanta Braves will be there for everyone to enjoy on Thursday um, and for the next few days as well. So um, make sure to check out the Hidden Season YouTube page. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time right here on Hidden Season.